This course is designed to teach us the love of God and God's plan for man's salvation. We learn the doctrine of salvation and discover that New Testament salvation is a comprehensive package bringing forgiveness, healing, deliverance, preservation and rescue which we receive freely by grace through faith. This lesson will help believers be well grounded in God's love and saving grace. Let's turn our Bibles please to Proverbs chapter 18. We'll make a declaration and then we'll get into God's word. Proverbs chapter 18 verses 20 and 21 says a man's stomach I know some of you are hungry but a man's stomach will be satisfied from the fruit of his lips or his mouth. From the produce of his lips he will be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. And this is a very important truth, spiritual truth in the Bible. That a man's life is going to be filled with what comes out of his mouth. Meaning the words you and I speak are actually shaping our present and determining our future. So words are not empty things as far as the spiritual world is concerned. Your life is going to rise up or fall to the level of your speech. Your future is being determined right now. It's being shaped right now by your words. A man's life will be satisfied by the words he speaks. Be filled by his words. So much so that God says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Our words carry life and death power. God set that in motion. So, we must be careful to speak words. Words of life. Words of blessing. Words that will put you up to the level where you want to go rather than pull you down from where you are. If you keep saying, I'm a miserable failure, watch it. You're going to get into a worse state than you are already. But if you say, I'm a success waiting to happen. I am blessed by God. God will make me the head and not the tail. God blesses me in all the work of my hands. You are speaking the word. You're not saying anything wrong. You're just speaking the word. And your life is going to rise up to that level. Amen? Because death and life are in the power of our words. What we're speaking. Amen? So tell your neighbor, get a new vocabulary. Let's stand up to our feet, make our declaration this morning. If you have your Bible, hold it high up in the air. Let's say this together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I am saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I am a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to him I am in absolute surrender, in Jesus' name. 
Amen. God bless you. You may be seated, please. We are back to the basics on Sunday mornings. Uh, We're doing a series called Foundations, and it's track number one. Uh, It's the first track. We have the three tracks in this whole thing, and uh, I'm not sure when we will do the second or third. But in track one, our objective is to take a new believer or a believer to becoming a disciple of Jesus. What does a person need as part of his foundation in his faith to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? So last Sunday, so we have, I think, about 12 lessons in this track. And we will do them one at a time every Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about the very, very basic thing about the nature of God. Who God is like. What is He like? What's His nature? And it's so important to understand the nature of God because what we perceive of God will then affect how we relate to one another. It will also determine how we relate to circumstances and situations we all face in life and how we react to demonic works and so on. This morning we're going to visit another very basic elementary topic. It's on salvation. It's very important. Many of us have experienced the salvation the Bible talks about. But it's good to revisit it. It's good to just go back to it and look at it again and and see what the Bible teaches us about salvation. So, please bear with me if this sounds very, very basic to you this morning. But it's good to go back and just, just, just look at it and learn and just uh, uh, rediscover some truths that are very foundational to our Christian faith. Salvation. The basis of salvation is the love of God. That's the basis. That's what salvation really is based on. It's based on God's immense love. For people like you and me. Because God loves us. You and I experience this wonderful thing called salvation. Which we are going to discover. Because God has this great love for all human beings. For all people. From all languages, tribes, tongues and nations and all backgrounds. Because of his great love. His heart filled with love. That salvation is offered and made possible for us. So. Salvation is based on the love of God. And, and uh, you know, all of us look for love. We want love. We are created to love and to be loved. And the kind of love that you and I really need is eternal kind of love. Love, not the up and down, today, here and gone, tomorrow kind of love. And therefore, we must all come to this understanding that ultimately the only one who can satisfy our need for love is God Himself. Amen? I mean, yes, we experience God's love through people. That's good. But ultimately, even people could fail. So we've got to come to a place where we just learn to settle ourselves in that unending Eternal love that God has for us. God loves us because first of all he created us. He made us. We are his handiwork. His creation. So he loves us immensely. He loves us because that's his nature. It's his character. It's, it, God is love. By default he loves. He can't do anything else. He loves. His love. Here are some characteristics or aspects of the love of God. His love is 
is a relationship that he chooses to have with us. It's something he initiates, something that he is the originator of. He started it. He establishes it. It's undeserved. That means I I don't merit it. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, God shows his love for us by sending Christ. Christ died for us. So he loves you and me even in our worst state. Which means, he's not going to love you anymore if you become a little gooder. Amen? He loves you just as immensely today as he would love you tomorrow or as he loved you yesterday. It's undeserved. It's, it's there all the time. You can't buy it. You don't earn it. You don't do anything to deserve it more today than yesterday. It's from him. It's undeserved. It's supreme. It's above all. This is the greatest love. He showed it to us by the sacrifice he made for us in sending his son Jesus. He demonstrated it to us. It's a love that's supreme that he's able to forgive all sin. Everything. He says, I'll write your slate clean. I mean, you can't find a love as great as this. Amen? It's the highest kind of love. And it is an everlasting love. It's not a temporal, fleeting, passing love. It's everlasting. He loves you today, tomorrow, and he'll love you forever. That's his love. Doesn't change. So, with this background of, the, of, of this love, the kind of love that God has for people, personally, take this person as you listen this morning. Take this message person. This is the kind of love God has for you as an individual. It's an eternal love. It's an everlasting love. It's an undeserved love. It's a love that he originates, and he wants to have that relationship with you. And if you were the only human being on the whole planet today, this will be true. As true as if there were a million people or a billion people or several billion people. Amen? He loves you immensely, individually. So, with this background, let's talk about the plan of salvation. What is this plan that the Bible unfolds for us? The plan of salvation. What is it? And how do we receive it? And what does salvation mean in the Bible, in the biblical context? So, the plan of salvation begins, of course, with God's plan for man or mankind. God created man. In the beginning, God created man. He created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. And He created them for a purpose. Revelation 4.11 says, He created all things and we were created for His pleasure. Of your own will, they were created. And they're created to worship him. So man was designed by God. A perfect being in the image of God. Put in the garden. To have a relationship with his creator. To worship his creator. To walk in that intimacy. That knowledge of his creator. To fellowship with him. And also to represent God on the earth. To be God's agent on the earth. To be fruitful. To, be mul- to multiply. To subdue. And to see the purpose of God. Whatever God designed to carry it out on the earth. That's the beginning. That's the original purpose of man. But then we know what happens. We know that Adam and Eve sinned. So here comes man's disobedience and rebellion against God. Adam and Eve sinned. Disobeyed God. And 
they disturbed for a moment the wonderful plan of God. They lost that intimacy, that fellowship with God. They were banished out from the presence of God. And not only did it affect them, but it affected the entire human race. For by one man sin came into the world, and death passed on all men, for all have sinned. So all of us, out in rebellion, in disobedience, in sin, against God. And sin has its consequences. The Bible says all of us have sinned in Romans 3.23. And we fall short of God's glory. The original design. We fall short of that. We fall short of that place of intimacy. That place of expression of, of God in us and through us. We fall short of it because of our sin. Sin has its consequences. And so this is the state of the unsaved man. This is the state of the fallen man. This is the state of a man in sin. Here are the consequences. There is inward spiritual death. So by default, a man born in sin is a dead man. So this is the living dead. All born, but with spiritual death. Meaning, we are disconnected by default. Every human being is disconnected from the life and the nature of God. We fall short of that glory because of sin. Secondly, we are also separated from God. Isaiah 59 verse 1 and 2 says, God's hand is not short that he can't save, neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your sins have separated you between your God and your sins have hidden his face from you. So sin now becomes this huge barrier that disconnects man from God. So every man is in this state. He's born dead, meaning spiritually there's no life. There's no, the nature of God's absent from his spirit. And he's born on the other side of this big wall that's separating him from God. So man has an inherent need to connect with God and religion is man's best attempt to reach God and yet religion cannot pass through this huge barrier of sin. We're separated from God because of this. There is the consequence of physical death. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, It is appointed for man once to die. And after that comes the judgment. So we have to die. Physical death is a consequence of sin. There is also eternal banishment from the presence of God in a place called hell. Matthew 25 and verse 41, Jesus says that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels, but people end up there, unfortunately. Because of sin. See God doesn't send anybody to hell. It's we who choose to go there. We come back to that later. So the consequence of sin is eternal separation from God in hell. And the Bible is so clear that there is no process of reincarnation. Because Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once. Once to die. Not a few times. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after that, there is the judgment. So there is no cycle, second attempt. As far as the word of God is concerned. Sin also 
keeps away the blessings of God. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 24 and 25, he says, you know, it is God who gives you rain to bless the work of your hands and to the fruit of your labor, but your sins have caused these things to be withheld from you. See, sin is a blessing blocker. It hinders the flow of God's blessings into our lives. And, and so, that's the state of man outside of God, outside of salvation. It enslaves us and keeps us in bondage. So sin is not just a little act that you do, that we do. Sin enslaves us. It traps us. Jesus said in John 8, he said, verse 34, Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. You end up as a slave. And Proverbs chapter 5 and and, uh, verse 22 says, The man who sins, he is Held captive in the cords of his sins. So sin really enslaves. So it's very foolish to think that, hey, I'll just taste it a little bit and I'll be fine. No, it doesn't happen that way. Usually you taste it and from your little finger, your hand goes in there. Your whole arm and soon your half your body is there trapped in it. And soon your whole being is trapped in sin. Because sin has that capacity To enslave every person in it. So here we are. Fallen man is actually a slave. We talk about liberty. We may have liberty in many areas. But personally, individually, every man is born a slave to sin. And lastly, sin also opens doors to demonic domination. Things of the works of the devil like sickness and disease and death. All these things come in because of sin. It was not God's original intent for man. So this is a state of fallen man. This is what happened as a result of the fall. Where man ended up because of his sin. And this passes on to every human being. To you and me. So by default we are in this state. Because of sin. And we must understand as part of this plan. That the Bible unfolds for us. That man cannot save himself. We are helpless. To make our own way of salvation. We can't save ourselves. All our good works cannot save us. Because even one sin is sufficient to banish us from God's presence. Think of this. How many sins did Adam and Eve commit before God could kick them out? One. Just one sin. And the consequence was as great as though they had committed a million. Sent out from the presence of God. Just one. So what makes you and I think that by our good works, we could reverse that? Because if it was possible for good works to reverse it, they would have done it back then. So our good works cannot save us. Because one sin is sufficient to set us out from the presence of God. That's what happened in the fall. Our best actions are still filthy in the eyes of God. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says that all our best deeds are like filthy rags. I'm not saying it's wrong to do good things, but I'm saying that even the best we do, because we are by nature in sin, the best we do in the eyes of God, they're like filthy rags. God says, I'm not impressed. God, I did all this. I gave so much money, 
I sacrificed, did this, I did that, I did that. God says, I'm not impressed. Your best actions are like filthy rags. And no other human being can save us. No guru. No human person who supposedly have, has ascended to a higher state of being. Or living. Or revelation or knowledge or enlightenment. No human being can save us because the Bible is so clear. Romans 3.10 There is no one who is righteous, not even one. The best human life we ever know. God says, not righteous, not even one. Other than Jesus Christ. He was God who became man. So no human being can save us. We can't put our faith or hope on any human person to save us because he or she is himself in sin. So as part of God's plan for salvation, here comes God's work of redemption. God intervening and saying, I love these people so much, I'm going to make a way for them to come past this barrier of sin that's separating us. I'm going to make it possible. And so God comes to us in the the person of Jesus Christ. God became man. And he died for us on the cross. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love. So I love these people. I will demonstrate my love for them. He sends Jesus to die for us on the cross. To pay the penalty of our sin. To undo everything that came upon us because of the fall. He came to save sinners. He came to bring us back to God. Make it possible now for man to encounter and experience and recover the original plan. So Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship that is established through the cross of Jesus Christ for you and me with God. Amen. Christianity is not based on a set of do's and don'ts. Christianity is based on knowing somebody. And if you don't know that somebody, no amount of doing is ever going to get you that experience of salvation. You need to know the person. He brings us back to God. He also came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. The Son of Man was manifested. That he might destroy the works of the devil. Everything the devil gained access to through the fall, Jesus came to take it out. Reverse it. Through the cross. So in God's plan of salvation, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus died for us on the cross. He was buried. He rose up again. He's alive today. And everything he did for man, that God did for man, out of his immense love, he offers it to us freely. The only requirement is to believe in Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us that to us who believe, our sins are forgiven. Acts 10 and verse 43. To him all the prophets give witness that anyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. So you believe in his name, you receive Forgiveness of sins. You receive eternal life. This is the nature of God. See, eternal life is not about going to heaven. That's good. That's part of it. But really, eternal life is an impregnation of God's nature into man. That was what Adam lost in the garden. The very life and nature of God that was in him. Through Jesus Christ that is put back in you and me. You are a partaker of divine nature. The very life and nature of God is now in your spirit. Because of the salvation you've experienced with Jesus. And no man on earth, no religion can do that for you. 
Amen? That's eternal life. God's nature in my spirit, in your spirit. And we experience salvation, what the Bible calls a salvation. Now, we'll talk a little bit more about what salvation really is. But there are several other things that come to us through the finished work of Christ on the cross. A few more things here. We are brought out of darkness into God's kingdom. Meaning Satan no longer has control over our lives. We are taken out of Satan's control. Moved into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We are made the children of God. So now we have, a, we have a father-child relationship with Almighty God. What God originally intended for man. We are made new creatures. Sin no longer dominates us. We are born again. Born from above. Brand new people in the spirit. And there's a whole lot more that happens to us. Because... Of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Amen. But we must understand. That in God's plan of salvation. It is very clear. The Bible is very clear. That there is salvation. In no other name. In no other person. Amen. You can read through the Bible. Forwards and backwards. And this message is very clear. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no other name. For there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we can be saved. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Unlike many others, they said, I'll show you the way. I'll show you how to live. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Amen. No one can come to the Father except. that's, That's pretty strong. That's pretty clear. No one can come to the Father except means only through me. Amen. So, but what about all the other religions? Look, I'm not here to answer questions. I'm here to tell the truth. Because people can ask a million questions. You may not have answers to all of that. But the truth is this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father but by me. I can't answer every question. What about this? And what about that? And what about that? We don't have the answers. But we can speak the truth. Amen? And to receive salvation now, to receive that free gift, all we have to do, is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. It's so simple. He did the work. The one thing God asks of every human being now is, listen, all you need to do is repent, turn from your own ways, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross and you will be saved. Embrace him, acknowledge him as your Lord and your Savior. Welcome him into your life. You'll be saved. So that's the one thing God wants from us. To believe in Jesus. Amen. Now. Let's understand salvation in the Bible. In the Old Testament. And when you come into the New Testament. I'll just focus on the New. There are several Greek words used for salvation. But the one word that's probably most used. Used about 110 times in the New Testament. Is the Greek word. Some of you might be familiar with this. Sozo. That one word is used everywhere in the New Testament, almost everywhere, when we talk about being saved, being experiencing salvation. 
But interestingly, that same word is also used for other things that we don't think in terms of salvation. When we think of salvation, many of us think that, okay, I pray, my sins are forgiven, I've got my life insurance, I'm going to heaven. But salvation is more than just that little piece. The salvation that God provides is a comprehensive coverage. Amen? It's a full package. And so you look at the way this salvation is used in the New Testament. And we'll find several things. The other point I want to just bring to our attention is this. That sozo is a verb. It's not a noun. Sozo means something is being done. It's a work. So salvation is a work that God does in our life. It's an act of God. Amen? It's a work of God. Something God's doing in our lives. So what is, how is this word sozo used in the New Testament? What does salvation include? Here the, here's what it includes. First, of course, salvation it means spiritual salvation, meaning the forgiveness of sins. Matthew one twenty one, And I'm, I'm just going to quote these verses where the word sozo is used. Call his name Jesus because he will save, sozo, his people from their sins. So, salvation means forgiveness of sins. It's that same word that's used in these other scriptures. Acts 4.12, Romans 10.9 and Ephesians 2.8. Same word in terms of being saved, forgiven from sin. But that same word is used for physical healing. So in the New Testament, when the Bible talks about salvation, healing for your body is also included. Amen? And the same truth you see in the Old Testament. The Psalm, Psalm said in Psalm, Psalm, is said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your... Same one thing. It's part of the same benefit package God offers His people. So the same truth is in the Old and in the New. Salvation, your salvation comes with healing. Now you can cash in on part of it if you want. But we encourage you to take the whole package. Amen? Take the whole thing. Healing is part. Healing for your body, for our bodies, is part of salvation. Look at how the word sozo is used in Matthew 9.22. Jesus looks at this woman who's had this issue of blood. And he says, daughter, your faith has saved or healed you. Same word, sozo. Your, your faith has brought you salvation, healed you. Mark 6.56, the Bible says these people came, they, they wanted to touch the edge of his garment. And as many as touched him were healed. Same word, sozo. They experienced salvation. What in this case? Healing. Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus told him, your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. That word there is sozo. Your faith has saved you. Given you sight. Salvation brings healing. In James 5 verses 13 through 16. When the Bible talks about. You pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith will heal. Sozo. Will heal the sick. Sozo is healing. For our bodies. Sozo also means deliverance from demonic power. When somebody is delivered from demonic powers, that is salvation. 
So when God provides salvation, He says, I'm giving you forgiveness of sins. I'm giving you healing for your body. I'm also giving you deliverance from every demonic power. That's in salvation. Amen? In Luke, the 8th chapter, the 36th verse, about the demoniac there, it says, the people came and told them how this demon-possessed man had been healed or delivered. And that word is sozo. This demon-possessed man experienced sozo. He got delivered. Salvation brings deliverance. It's also in Jude chapter 1 and verse 5. In terms of the Lord delivering his people out of Egypt. Bringing them out of Egypt. Giving them deliverance. That word is sozo. Sozo also means rescue from danger. Preserve from harm and danger. The disciples of Jesus were in the boat. And the boat was about to sink. In Matthew 8.25 they said. Lord. Save. Sozo us. Give us salvation Lord. Same words. Sozo. Sozo includes preservation from harm and danger. 2 Timothy 4.18 Paul said. The Lord will rescue Sozo me from every evil attack. Every evil work. So being preserved, rescued, protected from evil attacks is part of salvation. Amen? Don't worry, we'll let you sign up after the sermon. The good news is sozo is for everyone. Everyone can sign up for this. Everyone can experience salvation. Jesus said, Matthew 18... Verse 11, he says, I've come to seek and save what is lost. I bring, I've come to give sozo to everybody who is lost. If you think you're lost, you qualify. He came to bring salvation for everyone. And sozo is received by grace through faith. We know that scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you are saved, you experience sozo, through faith. So God's grace on one side, faith on our side. Salvation happens. What must I do? So so happens when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10. If you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him with your mouth as your Savior, as your Lord, you will be saved. You will experience salvation. For with a heart man believes, with a mouth confession is made unto or bringing salvation. So sozo is experience. When you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. So keep this truth in mind. Forgiveness of sins, healing for your body, deliverance from demonic powers, rescue and preservation from harm and danger all come the same way. By grace, through faith, by believing in our hearts, confessing with our mouth, we experience salvation. Which means... When we want our sins to be forgiven, we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. When we want our bodies to be healed, we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth. When we want to be uh, delivered from demonic powers, we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. When we want to be rescued and preserved from harm and danger, we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. Same. Amen. It all comes. This one package comes by grace, through faith, And it's received. The entire package is received the same way. 
You believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth. You believe Jesus took your sicknesses and diseases in your heart. You believe that, you declare him as your healer. You believe that he's your protector and you declare him as your protector. You will experience preservation harm from harm and danger. So this is what we call as a doctrine of salvation. The teaching on salvation has these five elements to it. There is God who is a just God who must punish sin. But he is a merciful God who wants to forgive. There is man. Man's a sinner and he can't save himself. Helpless. He's drowning, sinking. And then there is Jesus Christ. He is God who became man. Who completed the provision of salvation on the cross of Calvary through his death, burial and resurrection. There is the grace of God. Through grace God offers salvation to all men freely to receive and experience. And then there is faith on man's side. We receive it by faith. Amen? Very simple. God, man, Jesus, grace, faith. That's what salvation is. That's the plan of salvation. Now, here's what I want us to understand. God has done everything that needs to be done for your salvation and mine. Grace has already been offered. There's only one remaining element which is our response of faith. Amen? That's the only thing. But understanding this is very important because we must never put the blame on God for the failure of any person to experience salvation. Amen? Suppose somebody dies without being saved. Do we turn around and say, maybe it was God's will for him not to be saved? Do we say that? No, we don't. Because it's very clear in the Bible, for this is the will of God. This is good and acceptable in the eyes of God, who will have all men to be saved. It's his will that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And not not only that, but he's done everything from his side. Christ has died, grace has been provided. But still people fail to experience salvation and end up in hell. Do we blame God for it? He's done everything. Amen? Therefore, every element of salvation that we fail to experience, we cannot blame God for it. Amen? Which means, when a sick person does not get healed, we can't blame God for it. When a person does not get delivered, we can't blame God for it. When a person does not get rescued from danger, we can't blame God for it. Because everything for salvation from God's side Has already been done. Amen. The determining factor. The only thing that's left is our faith. That's why. Every person. Almost every person who came to Jesus. Jesus said your faith has saved you. He could have said. 
my grace has saved you. He never said that. He said, your faith, meaning now you close the connection. You did something to close it. God's grace, the work of Christ on the cross, is all being taken care of. Your faith has saved you. Amen? This is a little hard for us to digest. But we must understand that God has done everything that He would do from His sides. Amen? Now, there are rare cases when God slaps people on the head like Saul on the road to Damascus and says, Hey, I'm Jesus. What's up, boy? <laughs> it's like, Lord, who are you? It's like, I'm Jesus. <laughs> says, Yes, Lord. There are some rare instances when, when, when God shocks people into salvation. But for the majority of us, we have to come there by faith. So why doesn't he do it for everybody? I don't know. So that's the exception, not the norm. The norm is, we will all have to receive salvation by faith. The same thing about healing. Sometimes there's a person who might show up in church. They don't know the first thing about God. You know, they come fully tattooed with ears pierced, nose pierced, tongue pierced. And, and you don't think they'll get healed, but they're the first person to get healed. God, I've been confessing the word 25 years. I mean, I've gone up to every prayer line. I've attended every healing meeting. And you skip me and heal that person. Why does he do it? I don't know. But every now and then God will do something like that. But that's the exception, not the norm. The norm is all of us have to come and receive by faith. Amen? So why didn't God, why doesn't God just hit everybody with healing? I don't know. He's given salvation. He's done everything from his side for us to receive our healing. That one thing that's left is, he says, have faith. Your faith will make you whole. Your faith closes the connection for the experience of salvation. Which is forgiveness of sins, healing for our bodies, deliverance from demonic powers, um, uh, rescue and preservation from harm and danger. Everything is included. Wholeness for mankind is included in this package of salvation. And the one thing that's needed from our side is faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. To believe it, then we experience it. Amen? And I close now with just a few misconceptions that you and I might run into. Some people might say this, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in other saints, Mary, some gurus, whatever, you can, the list can go on. What's the Bible's response to it? The Bible says very clearly, there is no salvation in any other. For there's no other name, no name of say, any saint, no name of anyone else in the Bible through whom we can be saved. Amen. Thank God for Mary. Thank God for Peter. Thank God for John. Thank God for all the other apostles in the Bible. But they were sinners just like you and me. 
They're all saved by grace through faith. Another misconception that some people might have is, you know, it's called the doctrine of inclusion. That everyone is automatically saved because Jesus died for everyone. And you'll find some great preachers in the world today, in Christian churches, preaching this message. But it's not true. The doctrine of inclusion is an error. Why? Not everybody is saved automatically. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whosoever... Ah, there's one word. After whosoever. It's called, Believeth in Him. Will not perish, but have everlasting life. Another misconception is this. It's a misunderstanding of the doctrine of predestination that God has already decided who's going to go to heaven and who's not. So why worry? Just live the way you want. That's not true. Predestination is not predetermination. They're two different things. If you read Romans 8, 28 and 29, Romans 8, 29 and 30, the Bible says, Whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What every person, every believer is predestined is to be conformed to the image of his son. But they are not predestined to be saved. God foreknew who will your choice. So he knew in advance who will say yes and who will say no. For knowledge is not predetermination. God does not determine your choice. You and I are still free mortal beings today. And it's up to us to choose to go to heaven or go to hell. God doesn't send anybody there to hell. You choose to go there by choosing to reject His plan of salvation. Amen? So understand that predestination doesn't mean God predetermines your choice. No, He foreknew your choice. And what He did predestine is that we will all be like Jesus. That's what He predestined for us. Amen? So this is... Salvation, as the Bible brings it out to you and me. I want to encourage you and I as believers. Let us understand this message so clearly because we are called to preach this message to the whole world. Amen? When you share Jesus with them, give them salvation. Share the gospel that brings full salvation. Everything. So will Jesus heal a sinner? Sure. As surely as he will save a sinner, he will heal a sinner. Don't hold it back. Will he deliver a sinner? Will he rescue a sinner? Will he preserve? Of course. Because that's what he died. He died to bring salvation in its entirety for every human being. So offer it to everyone. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. I want you this morning, and if there's anyone here, you've never received Jesus into your heart, if you've never come to Jesus to believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you know, this morning you've heard the plan of salvation. It's a great moment for you to experience salvation. There might be some of us who just want to receive this full package. And right where you are, you extend your faith in God. Say, God, I receive healing. I receive deliverance. I receive, Lord God, rescue and preservation from harm and danger. But it all comes as one package. It's for you and me. So let's take some time just to wait on the Lord. Just extend our faith in God. Close that connection. Receive and experience His salvation. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. 
We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.